Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast and Happy New Year. This is our look-ahead show for 2018, so if you don't want to know what happens, come back in 12 months. I'm Connor Pope, and I'm joined by Progress Director Richard Angel and Deputy Director Stephanie Lloyd. We're going to be peering into our crystal balls, conjuring up spirits of election campaigns yet to come, and giving our predictions for the next 12 months. Welcome back to 2018, and if you haven't done so yet, it's time to join Progress. You can join Progress from just £3 a month, a pound a month, if you are unwaged in some way, whether that's a student, a young person, a pensioner, or unemployed, we'd like you to be part of the centre-left debate in the Labour Party. Progress is a movement of centre-left Labour Party members who want to implement the Clause 4 values that are on the back of our membership card and see them come to life in the country that we love and seek to serve. So now's the time to get involved. We're kicking off a new year, a new start for progress with a fundraising ask to our members and our supporters and people who want to see us doing well going forward. And that is for the Progress Academy. This is not a new school that we are starting or sponsoring around the country, but it is a training for progressive centre-left people in the Labour Party to better make their arguments in local meetings with speech training, to better st- uh, to better be prepared for standing to be a school governor, a local councillor, or even potentially stand for Labour in Parliament one day. It's so that they can help organise their fellow members to make sure the Labour Party is stronger and more sustainable going forward. But we cannot do it without your support. We're looking to raise £35,000. It is a big ask. But if every one of our current members gave £10 a year, we would more than do that. So can you give £25 to start 2018? Could you give 10 5 whatever you can afford? If you can, please go to prog.rs forward slash donate. prog.rs forward slash donate. And if you're not yet a member, you can go to prog.rs forward slash join. Thank you very much. Today's show is simple. I've got some questions about the year ahead and we're all going to try and answer them. So I'm going to jump straight in if that's all right with both Firstly, of you. Firstly, Happy New Year, Connor. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. Welcome to 2018. <laughs> how, how are you feeling after New Year's Eve? 
Um, I, uh, I am still fragile. <laughs> I, I am away in Cumbria enjoying a walk and having had the most amazing mac and cheese on New Year's Day to soak up. Well, thank, well thank you for calling in for this. The phone signal in Cumbria must be fantastic because it sounds like I'm sat right next to you back in our office in December. <laughs> um, it's almost as though we pre-recorded this. So... Big question. Do you think there'll be a general election in the next 12 months? Richard, I'm going to come to you first. I really, really don't. I think that the Tories are fragile and I think Theresa May is terrible. But I think that she looked like she was going to fall a couple of times, it felt, the end of 2017. But just getting on an early flight, going to Brussels and signing a piece of paper that basically said the Remain campaign was probably right, but we'll revisit it later down the track, seemed to pull her fortunes back for her. So I don't think it'll do that. I think the Tories are ultimately a power-hungry organisation and won't relinquish the opportunity to do that particularly early. I think the budget suggests that those productivity and growth figures aren't going to come back till very late in this parliament if it goes full time. So they need it to go full term to have the kind of numbers right to have a general election. And quite frankly, they think at the moment that if there was a general election, Jeremy Corbyn would win it. And that is going to focus their minds I mean, it isn't the case. And I personally think Labour should stop going around telling everyone there's going to be a general election and start planning to run the country rather than keep campaigning at rallies. Stephanie, people have started saying that after June's election last year, that the Fixed Terms Parliament Act is dead. Do you think that's true? I'm inclined to agree with Richard and say that I don't think that there's going to be an election for lots of the similar reasons, uh, mostly because I think no matter what their thoughts are on Theresa, what their complications in the Conservative Party are over Brexit, I think the Tories will instinctively cling on rather than give number 10 to Jeremy in any way, shape or form. And I think that will rally them around more next year than anything else. I worry about my level of predictions because, uh, I mean, as I say, the only thing we were talking about this earlier, the only thing that I have got right in 2017 was the exact guessing of who was going to be evicted from both Love Island and I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here Every Week. When it came to politics, I mean, it's all been a bit up in the air, but I am inclined to say, my instinct says, I don't think there will be. We'll take your guesses for 2018's Love Island and Strictly later on in the show but we'll, we'll, we'll just come back to but me and you Steph we were listening to radio the other day and I know that there was a Morning Star journalist on who essentially said that after June's election the Fixed Terms Parliament Act is just a sham now and it doesn't really exist and I, I'm a little sceptical of that but what I thought was amazing from last year was reading a report shortly after the election that said essentially Theresa May had misjudged when the date of the election would be and that was part of the reason that she was so unprepared which seems remarkable when she called the election herself. But she presumed that Labour would try and vote against it initially in Parliament on the basis that she didn't think that Labour MPs who expected to lose would be Turkey's voting for Christmas, uh, fundamentally. Which I just think showed the seed of how badly the entire election campaign was uh, managed by the Tories because the idea that the opposition party is going to turn down the chance... To, to run an election and get in government is, is absurd. It's absolutely preposterous. But um, anyway, so we don't think there'll be an election. But interesting question, will Theresa May still be prime minister? That I am less sure on, mostly because I think if they really thought that continuing with Theresa May was going to lose the number 10, I think they would remove her mm. before they would remove themselves from government in any way, shape or form. So I think she might be. Although I think, I mean, I I was one of those, like, I will never, you know, I would never want Theresa May to be Prime Minister in any way, shape or form. But I thought she would at least be competent 
I knew I would disagree with her on everything that she did, but I, I thought at least she would be competent. And actually watching how she's negotiating Brexit, watching what her misjudgment of that entire election campaign, it was just appalling to watch. I would be surprised if they didn't get rid of her when Brexit, they feel like Brexit's calmed down and is a little bit more steady and have someone who they think they can start building a real platform around for the next election in a couple of years' time. The thing is about the Conservative Party is that Europe has been the issue that gets rid of basically every Prime Minister since Ted Heath, I suppose, Richard. And, and so we know that that is going to be the issue that gets rid of Theresa May as well. Does that make it harder or easier to predict when she goes, do you think? I think it makes it harder because essentially Europe has finished off some of their potential leadership candidates. So True. I think Boris is seriously diminished by the role that he played in both the Vote Leave campaign. So he's lost that kind of, you know, when he was London mayor, he seemed to still have wide appeal, wasn't a real Tory kind of celebrity about him. That seems to have gone with people who aren't from the political right. But equally, the way he's played being in the cabinet has diminished him amongst the political right. I personally, in 2017, with similarly poor predictions as Steph without the upside of Love Island, thought that we would have in this parliament going full term, Theresa May, then probably a kind of David Davis doing the transition period. And then they like skip a generation because it seems to me both sides of the Tory party agree that it can neither be Boris or Amber Rudd and are prepared to relinquish the one of those that they like for another generation, as long as it doesn't mean the other one gets it in that sense. So in that sense, I think Europe is seeing off Theresa May, Amber Rudd, Boris Johnson, David Davis. So it is going to be a generational move, which actually probably means that Theresa May might go as long as 2020. What you're kind of getting at there is that as well as destroying the careers of so many Tory prime ministers, actually Europe has also destroyed the potential prime ministers yeah. of dozens more conservatives. You named a lot of big names there. Do you think there'll be any big names leave the cabinet this year? Because obviously we had that kind of period a couple of months ago where it felt like there could be three gone in a week. Boris Johnson, Priti Patel and Damien Green all embroiled in scandals in the same week. In the end, it was only Priti Patel that went. But do you see, do you see any big names going this year? Well, I think Boris will continue to cause problems for her government. Again, at the end of 2017, he did a similar version of his kind of 4,000 long essay. Forget the details of it being so long ago in last year. But, you know, he's going <laughs> I'm to... I'm not sure there were that many details in it. It may have been long, but it, it was still fairly... Uh, but the point was, it was another challenge to the Prime Minister, mm. her authority, the detail of how Brexit would run. Him and Michael Gove have clearly kind of got their act back together in terms of trying to pursue Brexit together. So I think Boris will continue to undermine her. I think he will also continue to undermine us with our partners and be a very bad foreign secretary, as he has been from day one. And it might just get to the point that not firing him is so ridiculous that it undermines Theresa May indefinitely. So my prediction, I mean, it's quite risky, but I do think that Boris deserves to go and let's try and live in a world where what should happen does happen and <laughs> Boris will go. Steph, do you think that Theresa May has the power to sack who she wants a bit more now that she kind of gained a bit of credibility after the Brexit phase one? I mean, maybe slightly, but I think one of the most, I mean, of, of all of the incompetencies that she's managed to show throughout 2017, I think the point where Damien Green stayed in his post 
And then David Davis turned around and was like, if, if they get rid of him, I'm going to resign. And like the idea of, am I allowed to say masturbation on a podcast? Is that fine? The idea of that being, well, I did, I did, I went there. But the idea that, you know, even that and the level of scandal in a way, he's still there. He's still sat there. He's still on the front bench. He's still one of our most trusted advisors. If that, Boris Johnson literally endangering a woman's life and, <laughs> and the absurdity of the other scandals that lots of them have been doing, don't get rid of them. I mean, literally, who knows what will. I think the investigation into Damien Green is still going on, isn't it? So, I mean, I'm not sure quite what they're looking into after all of this time, but <laughs> apparently there's still some work to be done there. So, you know, perhaps we'll have an answer to that in the first few weeks of uh, 2018. But on to Labour now. Um, now, I know what everyone loves doing is making predictions about elections because... It's, it's the easiest job in the world, isn't it? Totally. Um, we've got the local elections this year. Um, we're presuming no general election, so I won't ask you your predictions on how that would go. But the local elections, how are they going to look? I actually think we're going to do well in the local elections in lots of ways. And I think because you've got, uh, firstly, lots of big kind of metropolitan areas, which is clearly where lots of our voter base in the party is being picked up from at the moment. But also I think because... We have a phenomenal network of local councils who have fought consistently to try and minimise the impacts on the communities that they serve because of this awful government. And actually, I think lots of that messaging will cut through on a local level, particularly with the incompetence of the Tories on, on a national level. So I actually think that we will do quite well but because of the kind of local superstars that we have within the party. Richard, do you think the general election has changed this? Because actually the last couple of years in local elections, we've underperformed even early May 2017. I remember me and you were coming back from campaigning in the Midlands. and We've been in glorious seat, haven't we? We had in Ashfield. And as we came back and, you know, the first results started to come through and it really wasn't a good night. And at that point, you would never have predicted what happened just a month later in the general election. But do you think maybe that's changed it a bit? Do you think maybe people who were enthused by Corbyn in the general election campaign are now going to be Labour? In that sense, this is a really poor test because one of the points that Steph said was that where the metropolitan boroughs are up, I mean, lots of them, there's nothing left to win. So in Manchester, we have every councillor bar one Lib Dem, the former member of parliament for... What's his name? John Leach. Hazel Grove? No, he was the MP for uh, Withington. Uh, and he, John oh, Leach sorry. is now a councillor in his former seat. I'm pretty sure he's the only opposition councillor yeah, in Manchester. So there's really nothing more to win in some of our metropolitan boroughs. London is going to be interesting. One, because it really is the demographic that did very well for Jeremy Corbyn and is high, you know, it's kind of de- they're densely populated in that way. Because of what happened with Grenfell and the unfortunate situation there, you might see some Tory councils change hands. So Barnet is on a bit of a knife edge. Labour was hoping to win it last time uh, four years ago, but didn't and definitely could this time. And of course, did very well in Chipping Barnet, for example, that kind of bagel belt where virtually small numbers of uh, switches could have delivered for Labour. And you could see that happening council ward by council ward. The same in Wandsworth, but also in Kensington and Chelsea, where the council has just been found wanting on every feasible level of competence, of risk management, of crisis management, and of just emotional intelligence. And that seems to 
continue unabated. And I think Steph's point about the personnel and how good so many of these local government leaders are is a great point. I, you know, I don't really want to get back into all of those arguments about selection processes in places such as Haringey that we had like last year. But in Lewisham, where I live, we've got a mayoral election coming up. And in the selection for that, Momentum had two candidates. There was a kind of national Momentum candidate and a local Momentum candidate. Neither of them came anywhere near winning. We've got um, a brilliant candidate called Damien Egan. And hopefully he'll be uh, the mayor come May. That'd be a brilliant result. You will as well. What, I think what is happening, though, which is going to be interesting for us, you know, we were asking the kind of questions, what's social democracy when there's no money for the last seven years and trying to be that kind of challenge, not just to kind of austerity, but to lazy thinking that the only way to deal with this is to protest because that clearly hasn't brought down a Tory government. There really is no money now. I mean, I think these are going to be the hardest set of elections to be on the doorstep and say, there's not even the kind of little free bits you can give away in a council anymore. The budgets are, I mean, I think every London council has now lost more than 50% of its budget since 2010. It's becoming very, very difficult. And I think the bit that we should all be wary of is that's what George Osborne wanted. He knew we'd get to this point and that it's easier to turn on your Labour council leader who you meet at meetings, who you know in your community, who probably uses the same shops you use than it is to meet. George Osborne, either as editor of the Evening Standard or Philip Hammond, who's been his successor. And so it's hard to take it on them. And we should just be savvy to that. It's going to be difficult, but we should. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Let's look at what is surely going to be the biggest story of the year after Prince Harry's wedding, obviously. Um, Number one. Brexit. Are you going? I'm waiting for the um, invitation. Presumably they've not been sent out. Can I be your plus one? Uh, I mean, sure. I think the other Stephanie might have a problem with that. I mean, I'm sure sure my partner would have a problem with that, but I am banking on not actually getting an invitation (laughs) to Prince Harry's wedding. I I will will promise you the moon. Deliver nothing. What do you guys think will be the biggest Brexit story of the year? And will there be a second referendum promised this year? 
I think the Northern Ireland border will continue to dominate the discussions because I think they've put a great big plaster on it uh, with the agreement she came back with. Basically, everyone was happy with a deal from the Irish Taoiseach through to Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, which suggests that something is up in the system and that some of the particulars of the wording, what was in and out and about regular alignment or, or, or whether the word regulatory was used in the end or whatever, will continue to dominate. And the real prime minister of the country is, of course, the leader of the DUP rather than the <laughs> uh, leader of the Tory party. So I think that's going to continue to uh, dominate. And because it is on our shores, it is the biggest issue. You know, This is a land border with the European Union. It's not theory about the benefits of the custom union, the single market. It's a reality for very many people on a daily basis. They cross that border, they take their currency, uh, but equally their, their standards, their rights, they don't want them to change just because they went 20 minutes from home. And it seems impossible for there to be a second referendum unless there is a general election in which Labour run with a very different manifesto and probably if they win on that manifesto, because although actually what we saw towards the tail end of last year was that Labour now can actually change what goes on in Parliament. We saw Theresa May's first defeat since the election on whether Parliament would have a final mm. say. So actually, if the Labour Party is completely united on something and the Tory party even a tiny bit divided, stuff can change. But the second referendum question still seems to be too divisive in, in certainly in the Labour Party. And I don't think it has very much support at all yet in the Tory party. So it seems unlikely to, to happen. Do you think that's fair stuff? Absolutely, yeah. Do you have any ideas about the big Brexit story of the year? I think actually, I think you're right in the sense that I don't think the referendum's going to, to happen. In terms of... No. <laughs> I think the key, th I think what you just said then about Labour is absolutely crucial. The more we take the position that we all believe in, which is the number one concern when dealing with Brexit has got to be jobs. And that's therefore got to be equally for the ability of Unite members who work in manufacturing and make cars through to those who work in the financial sector to have an ability to, to kind of earn a crust and make their way in the world. That's going to be what dominates. And I think that the Labour bit of it will be us moving together as a party to come out fully, hopefully with the leadership backing, but I think at minimum with Labour Party conference backing that the party is committed to staying in the single market in the customs union. Cool. And I think the, sorry, just to make a point, is the dynamic that that can take, you know, the Brexiteers have got all these high hopes that Britain outside, we can write our own rules, we can do everything we like, we can have a bespoke deal with Europe, whatever. We have got to be kind of similarly ambitious about what Britain outside the EU, but in, inside the EEA could be, because the power change, and Heidi Alexander, I think, argues this really well, between, you know, it just being Switzerland and Norway in the EEA, but not the EU, to it being Britain, Norway and Switzerland, I think could be quite profound and could mean that we could be part of crafting the rules while not making the final rubber stamp of them and having to abide by them rather than any situation where by basically being by virtue of being on Europe's border, you're going to be a rule taker in some way, shape or form. And I've not checked with either of you whether you have anything to say on this final question, but do you have any tips for what progressives should look out for in 2018? One of the big things that I think is worth saying is if, you know, we saw at the end of 2017 uh, and we spoke about it in our progressives of the year was was the kind of the Me Too campaign, the, the amount of women that stood up and, and, and were unbelievably brave um, and, and, and really stood up as a collective voice in terms of what it is they want to do. And I think, you know, 
there was there's one thing that we need to look out for, and actually, um, it's from the words of Bex Bailey, um, and it was in the very one of the last editions of Stylist, uh, which is a free magazine that you get in London. Um, and she literally said the words: "If 2017 has been the year of women speaking out, 2018 needs to be the year that people listen and act." And I think that is one of the most important things in terms of lots of the campaigning that we've got. If if 2017 is about making that point, whether this is on Me Too, whether this is on Brexit, whether this is on key key issues that are hugely dividing our society and defining what we want to be as a society going forwards. 2018 has to be about how as a collective of progressives, we act and make that change. I I would add to that, essentially the trans debate, it's been in all the social media, whenever it comes up, it seems to be utterly divisive. And it seems to me to be along lines that wouldn't normally divide progressive people. But one of the things it feels is that there are people who traditionally aren't supportive of equality that are keen to flare this argument up about hysteria about what the change would be and what is overdue is an update to the rules on uh, on gender reassignment and how you get that recognized but i think uh, most people's fears about what the worst kind of connotations of that might be and how that might bear out aren't at all near the reality and i think we kind of now need to lance this boil make the change that trans people so desperately need and show feminists that this is not about taking space away from women, but about ensuring a fairer society uh, for all. And I think the reality now can't be worse than the theoretical hysteria debate that we're having, where papers that are otherwise rational, thoughtful and thought-provoking, like the Sunday Times, take have been taking a terrible approach to it and i think we only by basically having an actual law that we can see we can debate we can finesse will we be able to move on for both the trans community and feminists and realize that they're they are more aligned in the greatest battles that face progressive politics rather than being pit against each other i agree with you entirely and i think one of the important things that that we need to remember is that we see ourselves, particularly, you know, those about like we see ourselves as the party of equality. To th- it is it is inaccurate to think that there weren't these struggles in terms of gay rights when this first happened. And internally within the party, people who shared our values in lots of ways and shared our politics didn't share our values when it came to who we love and who we are. And I think, you know, I am seeing far too often now very similar kinds of ways of tactics of fear-mongering and what about this? Well, what if that happened? That we used to have in exactly the same way, you know, in in the days when it was, you know, debates about, uh, you know, LGB rights um, and how that would work. So, no, I think as a community, and as a whole movement... straight men in the, in the mainstream media who are arguing as if they're the champions of lesbians suddenly, but would I mean, have voted against their fertility rights. I mean, lots of them do. Had they been of parliament. Lots it's of them very do. bizarre. And it is one of those things, you know, we see people and you see the toilets argument, you see all of the rest of it and it's like I remember when, when people would say oh yeah but you can't what about lesbians can't let them in the women's toilets what what will they do and it's and it's all of these things now if you look back on it, it would be absurd because the realities of these situations are so far away from the fear-mongering and actually there is a phenomenal chance to be able to take you know a, a, a real progressive stance in terms of bringing what are the key important feminist issues of the day together with the rest of our equality strands understanding sometimes where there will be differences of opinion, lived experience and diversity and how that works, 
but being able to find a, a true way forward for this. And Connor, what, what do you think that Progressive should look out for in 2018? I think that they should look out for Steph's predictions for Love Island, which <laughs> I'm Oh my God, please, sure. please can I do that? <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm afraid we've actually run out of time, Richard. Uh, that's that's we- not true. We can decide the time, Connor. <laughs> That's, that's can I say all, one of the things that I'm hoping for as well, actually, that I think sure. is still a hangover from 2017, which is the kind of anti-Semitism issue that plays out in the Labour Party. We changed the rules at conference last year. It was a huge welcome uh, step forward. We now have to see those rules come into their own and sh- and show that we do actually believe in the things that we say as mm. a party. And I think, you know, Bex is clearly right about how we've got to act in 2018. This is another issue of which I think the Jewish community and its allies will, the, the goodwill is going. Yeah. And, you know, one of the horrifying things that was raised at the end of last year uh, was people outriding on behalf of the leadership that somehow George Galloway would be invited back into the Labour Party. And that, I think, would be a real low for everybody involved in progressive politics of whatever persuasion and cannot possibly be allowed to happen, but certainly wouldn't say we're moving in the right direction on some of the key issues, not least with our allies in the Jewish community. There we go. Actions. Actions are what we need. Absolutely. So that is all we have time for today. Me and Steph will be back on Friday with a Progressive Britain review show to see if any of our predictions have come true already. So do send us your comments, your views, your questions, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.